Ave Maria, grazia plena, Dominus Tecum. Welcome back, y'all, to another episode of the Red Text Podcast. I'm your co-host, Rai, a.k.a. the Mestizo Mystic on Instagram. And my name is Voga. I am Voga Lumicente on Instagram, and I have no nails on today, but that's not important. <laughs> Rai, can you tell everyone what are, is important? The stubs are just distracting me just a little bit. Um, oh, my yeah, God. Don't call them stubs. How dare you? <laughs> uh, we have a very special guest today. We have Marshall, the Witch of Southern Light, joining us today, and I'm so so excited to to have. Or what are your pronouns, Marshall? Uh, he him is just fine. Oh, thank you. Brilliant. And we're so excited to have him here with us today. Thank you for having me here today. I'm I'm really happy to be here. I'm a longtime listener. We've had you on our show. So, we sure did. Um, I, I'm I'm really excited. This has been a uh, uh, a treat to look forward to. Oh, that's really sweet. Um, well, okay, listen, I, I this is going to be a, a big um, Voga basically gassing Marshall up this entire episode because um, I have been uh, a follower, a fan, a listener, a consumer of Marshall, uh, both Marshall and Austin. Austin and I, you know, we we gab back and forth, but. Um, Marshall, I have been consuming your content for the better part of however long you've been online. Was it three years? Something like that? Even more? About now, yeah. Yeah. I first found you on TikTok um, and I was like, who is this person? And I was immediately obsessed. And the amount of content that you create is unparalleled to a lot of people. It's a lot of content. And um, realized that you produce a podcast with Austin, started listening to the podcast, uh, Southern Bramble, which is absolutely incredible. A lot of the things that y'all talked about on Southern Bramble were very formative things that I, inc- I incorporate into my own practice. So um, now that I have you face-to-face on our podcast, I just want to say thank you very much. And a- an absolute just gratitude for the content that you create um, both on your own, but also um, with the podcast that you produce, which is um, Southern Bramble with Austin Fuller, who is um, Bain X Bramble. Um, The things that y'all contribute to this community is extremely, extremely impactful. So um, as podcast hosts ourselves, we know the impact that a podcast can have. um, And I just wanted to express my gratitude for the pod for the impact that your podcast has had on me well thank you oh my gosh that's that's uh, feels like i'm so honored to have that impact on anyone let alone someone who i also admire so much you know um my nana (laughs) this is silly my nana actually messaged me because she was trying to ask for help to order my book on amazon and it was it was this 
I love explaining things. I will literally screen record things on my phone and send them to my Nana. So she will know how to replicate the steps to get there. <sighs> um, I love, I love her so much. And That's she, really sweet. she was like, I just saw your bio on Amazon Marshall. And I was like, oh yeah. And she read, she literally wrote it back to me. She was like, runs a <laughs> podcast, writes a column, published author. And I said, yeah, all that. And I didn't even put my full-time job. And she, was, <laughs> and she was like, you'd been a busy boy. And I was like, yes, I'm so busy. <laughs> oh, your Nana sounds so sweet. They, they... Oh, she is the matriarch. Absolutely. If you've ever seen Downton Abbey, she is a Southern version of uh, the Dowager Countess. She is absolutely the Maggie Smith of my family. I love her. I was her. about to say. Yes, I love her so much. She's so witty. Um, I could go on forever about stories about my Nana. She's great. Oh, no, I, I, I can go on and on about my Lola because she is she is the light of my life I, I swear mm-hmm. um she she is a big influence on my practice too because she's kind of the one who introduced me to Mary but mm-hmm. anyways before we get it on t- we're, we're just we're just gushing over each other Gavin, listen Gavin. yeah we're just cabin um first Marshall how are you you know I'm doing I'm doing good I it's so I am two weeks into publishing my book right um, I've, I'm a self-published author. I've spent the better part of a year uh, putting this together in my free time, my spare time. Um, I have kind of been on this weird roller coaster of emotions about this work. Um, you know, I I don't have a marketing director. I don't have a professional editor. I don't have a publishing house telling me whether or not the the content that I'm putting out there is something that's one sellable two something people want to read three something that doesn't come across as amateur. So I felt I've had this roller coaster ride of feeling elation and pride, but also feeling really, really vulnerable. And I remember having a conversation with Olivia, I want to say about a month before the book came out. And I remember just kind of talking about like, what if my biggest fear and I was expressing this to Olivia was that it, it, my book would be read as very amateur or first time writer, or he's not an author. And I remember being mm. a, a, I'm just a little older than a teenager. I have to be honest. When, when I read the twilight <laughs> books, I enjoyed the story and it wasn't yeah. until much later that like a lot of criticism was coming in about writing style, about, about all these different things that I never noticed. And that, that was flooding my mind again. And I was just kind of like, Oh geez do I think I'm creating something that I really, really love or that's very, very moving and I'm just going to put it out in a world only to have it be kind of pointed at that. And, and I was just really, really nervous about that. But at the same time, since doing so, I have had so many really, really kind people reach out um, sharing private reviews, just whether partially through it or, or, or um, leaving reviews on Instagram on their, their, pages on amazon i have just been so 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 moved by the way in which people have been reaching out to say kind things to me about it so um i feel like i'm on the end of that roller coaster it doesn't feel like a roller coaster anymore uh so i'm in a much better place now and i'm i'm really really happy with with how it's being received that's wonderful i'm i'm happy to hear it here's the thing um as a fellow artist, something that is always going to happen when you are creating your art is that you are always terrified of being scrutinized. That is something mm-hmm. that you are always going to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and putting something that is so personal and so um and we're gonna go into the book yeah promise we are going to go into the book listen dear listeners don't worry we're going to talk about this book because uh, i cannot talk about this book enough um but when you put yourself out there especially presenting yourself as a work of art like a book or a painting or um a poem or a podcast or being a content creator online you know your 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 instagram feed is a work of art you are going to be terrified you are going to be scrutinized Mm -hmm. um the the reasons to do it is actually what's more important because the reason you're doing it is not because I mean, there is a big part of it. The a big part of why I love producing a podcast with with Rye is because, yeah, it is for my community, but it's on my terms. Mm-hmm. It is based on what I want to produce, and you can take it or you can leave it. If you leave it, it's not for you, and that's totally fine. I can almost guarantee you, punch in something into Google, and you'll find something that is more in line with your perspective. I am not in line with your perspective, so fine. If you pick up Marshall's book and it doesn't work for you, then fine. At least you read the fucking book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) At least you read the (laughs) book. Yeah. You know? I, I just want to acknowledge, Marshall, like the uh, the vast amount of vulnerability it takes to to put something out into the world like you have with this book. I mean, doing something on Instagram Absolutely. is one thing, and that's not to belittle or demean, you know, what any of us do with our Instagram pages, but to to channel your your life's work and passion into into a book, like, uh, like just this physical thing for others to to read and to resonate with or not resonate with. At the end of the day, it's the fact that you you created this, you birthed this creation that is a part of you. And it's making me think of like the Horcruxes from Harry Potter, right? Like you're going to live on in this book with with whoever has it for for generations to come. And and just the, the vast amount of vulnerability that it takes to, to do that, to create that. Um, I just I just honor that and, and wanted to, to acknowledge that like I'm just very proud of of your ability to have done that, and it's just and and to go through that process of self publishing too, like that. It, that's such to me, it's a terrifying thing. Like I I feel just the way with my the way my mind works and process works, I kind of need like that external guidance and the critiques, and I would be personally terrified to self publish because I'm just like overthinking every little minute detail of like, did I do this well enough, or like, is this going to be received well enough? You know, so just just fully want to acknowledge that it is wonderful what you have created i haven't yet finished it but it's just it's beautiful and it's the first of its kind that i've ever seen of a of a grimoire steeped in in storytelling and intertwined with magic like that's the first type of grimoire like that that i've ever seen mm-hmm. so you as far as i know you've created a one a one of a kind masterpiece that that's unique as well as just embodies you know you and your practice and i think that's absolutely wonderful well thank you so much that that truly means the world to me i'm so glad that I'm really, really glad that my my vision for what I want to put out there is being seen. That's what I'm hearing from from so many people, from you guys, is that it, it, people who read it are feeling seen, and it makes me feel like my vision for them to be seen is being seen. So that's that's really what I want to put out there is 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 something that makes people who dive into my work feel like they are a part of it, and they can make it a part of their craft. Oh, absolutely. And mm-hmm. I'm so excited for them to, for this to, to bleed into other resources, to, to see this in, for this to be an inspiration for other folks to write their works and God's willing um, to see Marshall's book on someone else's work cited. That'd be incredible. Oh, to <laughs> imagine my book in someone else's bibliography. I yeah. Mean, that, that is just like awe-inspiring truly. 
Yeah, yeah, and and oh, we're and we're gonna get into the book. We're gonna yes, get we into will, the book. Uh, we're, we're we're going to get into the book towards the um towards you know the the later half of this episode. Um, but I do want to. Well, first of all, hang on. Let's talk about Rye. Rye, how are you? I'm good. Uh, I'm so like. Let's get it. We're gonna get a check in from you. Let's check in. For yeah, you. no. Um, I'm mind boggled because even though I switched Wi-Fi and shit, I feel like there's still a lag. So the audio delays is throwing me off a bit. But I've had a wonderful day. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful sunny day in San Francisco go today and originally it started off with my partner and i going to the laundromat to like knock out laundry first thing in the morning but it was like flooding and so we were like oh well fuck that we're not staying here so we decided to just uh go to a cafe around the street and i had some really good coffee and a fantastic muffin and then we ventured off to some couple of parks around the city that i've actually never been to all my life living out here and we got to see some beautiful sights we saw a blue jay um and it's just been it's been a fantastic morning we still have to do laundry later but uh and it, it's just uh it was a great uh segue into where i am right now with y'all of just getting to enjoy nature and and this beautiful weather and and now getting to sit with the both of you and talk about magic and marshall's book and so it's been a it's been a fantastic day and it's going to continue to be one Oh, good. That's so good that you're spending time outside because mm-hmm. I haven't seen outside in days. Let me tell you something. I <laughs> I think the last time, right, you and I spoke was last week. Did we record last week or the week before? I think it was the week before. No, week it was before. last week. Yeah, we, yeah, it was on the beginning. It of was last done. week. Okay. Yeah. So listen, y'all, I got another, I know I got another job. <laughs> I have been, I have, uh, I, I, first of all, I, I'm a clinician. I work in healthcare and I work 12 hours a day sometimes. Um, and then I decided to, to get a third job because I'm just so silly. Um, and I decided to, to try to become, um, uh, an editor for a content creator and I got the job. <laughs> now I'm an editor for a content creator. And their content creator is friends to is a friend to all of us. They are Frankie, the chaotic witch aunt. I am now their, their I am their video editor. So all of the, the last three, as of this recording, the last three videos that you've seen on Frankie's channel were mine. I edit those. They are incredible. If I do say so myself, the editing videos is very, 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 very time consuming. Yes. And I'm very busy all the time. Um, and also I edit the videos for the podcast as well for the, for the video uh, versions of the episodes. So I've been compiling all of like, I've been consolidating like editing days. Like today is an editing day. As soon as we're done here, I'm going to be editing. And then tomorrow I'm also going to be editing, but also I have tomorrow is Palm Sunday as of this, this um, recording. So this week, this week is going to be a very busy week for us <laughs> because it's Holy Week. So we're it's leading into Easter. So I have I have this really huge ritual that I'm planning for for um, for Easter Sunday, and I haven't written it yet. I, I've started writing it. I haven't written it completely. Um, so I'm working on that. I am supposed to be going to mass tomorrow morning. Um, there's a mass at eight and there's a mass at ten. I don't know which one I'm going to yet. And then all day I'm editing and then I'm writing my, I'm writing my ritual down. And then I'm also, I, someone commissioned me for a rosary. So I have to make a rosary. Um, (laughs) I know, I know I'm, I listen, I'm not burnt out. I'm just really busy. I'm not overwhelmed. I'm just really busy. I'm, I'm planning everything out. I'm super, the, the secret to not burning out y'all is not first, not overloading yourself with work, obviously, but also staying organized, Mm. stay organized as much as possible. I am a very organized person. I, it drives me crazy when I'm not, like when things are scattered and all over the place, but I'm having a great time. Frankie is such a wonderful person to, to work with. They are uh, so easy and it's so, it's so much fun to have so much liberty in regards to 
editing those videos because I'm having so much fun editing those videos. If y'all haven't seen the last couple of, uh, I mean, go watch their content, go watch all of their videos, but the last three are really fun. <laughs> I, I, I put a lot of, um, I put a lot of work into editing, um, you know, really fun stuff. There's a lot of Jesus memes in it. It's really fun. Um, so yeah, I've been really busy. So uh, yeah, I haven't seen the outside in quite a while. Um, but I, <laughs> because of Holy Week coming up, I'm actually cutting down on my workload because I have a lot of magical work and devotional work to do this week. Um, so I'm very excited for that. Um, but yeah, okay. So Marshall, um, before we talk about your book, I just want to talk about you personally, and um, because we haven't had a chance to get to know you yet, uh, or our listeners has, haven't gotten a chance to get to know you yet on our podcast, um, let's just start from the beginning. Like how how have how did you start? How did how did things start for you in regards to your practice? I know that you have talked about this about uh, about your practice and how it started on your podcast before. The Big Blue Book, everyone knows it. Um, <laughs> Um, so yeah, how, how did it start for you? You know, I, I, I can remember an obsession with witches in any way, shape or form since I was young enough to remember it at all. I even remember, um, stealing my sister's Barbie dolls and making homemade little brooms and using my Weebelows or Cub Scouts handkerchief as a makeshift like cape and hood. And then I would make my parent my mom i was always my mom drive me around the neighborhood so i could stick it out the car window so i could make the witch fly like i was just obsessed with with the iconic like the icon i cannot iconography of the witch thank you and it was one of those things that just as a as a archetype stuck with me in my psyche since i can remember and it wasn't until i like i said uh, uh um i want to 12-ish, maybe 13 years old. I know it was in sixth grade. I remember that specifically. So whatever age that was. Um, I did. I discovered uh, uh, Buckland's complete book of mythology, uh, mythology, complete book of of witchcraft at a Books a Million in the department store mall. And it was one of those things where, you know, you see something that I guess I always kind of believed was it was a fiction, right? Like it, it was something that I'd only been exposed to within fiction. And all of a sudden there was not only this one book, but I kept looking around a whole section on a religious aspect that I had no idea even existed. Mind you, you know, I'm so young. I'm not, I'm, I'm a white cis male in suburbia. I was not exposed to anything outside of what was put in front of me at that point in time. It was so eye opening. I saved up weeks worth of lawnmower money to basically purchase it. I, I kept it hidden from my parents for a while. Um, uh, I ended up getting, once I came out to my parents as, as not as gay, but as, as wanting to practice this, you know, they were, Dad did not care. Mom was kind of wishy-washy, but she wanted to support my interests. So, you know, that got into Silver Raven, Raven Wolf, Silver Raven Wolf, Silver Raven Wolf, <laughs> and Scott Cunningham and all the good ones. I still remember, like, having a fun shopping day with my mom. And it was um, when Practical Magic, oh, my gosh, so that must have been, what, 1998, um, 97, around that time period, it was had just come out. In I think so. I think you're right. 
yeah, 97, 98, it had just come out in Blockbuster. And I was so excited because I had just purchased to ride a silver broomstick and we had rented Practical Magic. And I literally laid on the couch and watched that movie three times on a loop while looking through the book. It was just one of those things that stuck with me as a really, really happy, absolutely passionate uh, overstimulated with witchery moment in my life and it still sticks with me um i can still hear like the beginning of the movie starting as i flip through the pages um it 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 was a passion of mine so quickly when i got into it unfortunately it caused a lot of problems at school actually i don't think i've actually told this story before um ooh this will be a good one then yeah uh, i was please six, do yeah i was in sixth grade and i remember it got around the school i mean i was bringing these books to school i was reading them in class through, through class you know um apparently some parents got really concerned about a witch at school and in in suburbia i mean it was like one of those moments where i had no idea this was going on but i remember being pulled out of class into um this was in six i mean like sixth grade so this is this is young i was told that but there were three teachers and as an adult i know one of them now was gay which is i he was trying to protect me he was so he was sweet uh but one of the the head teacher who was basically the teacher of that grade at the time i remember her specifically saying like we've got a lot of concerned parents calling in we have had a lot of uh scared students and uh there's been a lot of talk of witchcraft and voodoo and you putting hexes on people and i'm just like i do practice witchcraft i'm a wiccan but this has nothing to do you know what do i do i'm a scared sixth grader i don't know how to respond to this do i lie and do i lie and say no it's not true when i literally have books in my bag (laughs) that are about witchcraft you know so and i even remember like um that one gay teacher, I remember the only reason I remember him specifically saying something that was kind was just like, you know, I think this may be getting a little out of hand, like, because he was even the history teacher too, which is quite beautiful, because he brought up, you know, like in Salem, this was kind of a hysterical thing. And and they basically shut him up, which is indicative to that time period too, because it was- Yeah, that's interesting, the, the irony and all that, yeah. The irony and all of it, exactly. And um, they basically told me, you need to shut it down no more talk of voodoo or witchcraft and i'm like you can already hear the the early 90s uh, synchronization of all things that are totally separate right so they're saying these things to me and i'm like i am a child what am i supposed to do to make this stop because they said if if we don't if this talk and discussion doesn't die down we're gonna have to call your parents and that was really scary for me because i was not in a healthy place yet with my parents around the subject matter so uh, that was how i did my first freezer spell and it, I got it from Teen Witch by Silver Raven Wolf. And oh, I, remember wow. I wrote wow. the situation down specifically as stated. I put it in a little baggie. I put it under ice and water and put it in the freezer. And I want to say it really, I remember it very specifically. Things died down very quickly. They never had to call my parents. We moved on. I went to seventh and eighth grade, still practicing witchcraft, still being a known Wiccan, um, still use. I mean, like, I even remember what, reading some of these books um, uh, for class projects in my seventh and eighth grade year like i continued on no one had a it wasn't really a problem anymore so um that was my first spell i ever did that was my childhood trauma and a nice little handbag a very very (laughs) nice handbag a clutch if you will a clutch (laughs) clutch. Uh, unfortunately as i got older i mean i continue to practice all the way through high school 
on my own, you know, this is a time period, of course, when Wicca and witchcraft were still synonymous. All of the material that was coming out, at least in America, that made its way down to Texas where I was living, um, was very, very Wicca-centric, very 90s Wicca-centric, very Rule of Three. Um, uh, I did not know that witchcraft existed outside of the, and I'm using air quotes so people can't see it, ancient religion of Wicca. Right. <laughs> I was part of that of, of that uh, movement who, who bought into a lot of this stuff that I was learning. And it wasn't so much later that I learned differently. And um, la- life kind of slapped me in the face in my late teens, early 20s. I moved out at 19. I got a full-time job. I, I kind of dropped a lot of spirituality and um, didn't pick up it again until I want to say like my late 20s. And I'm and it, what started out as getting back into finding a place within spirituality quickly dived into like a lot of new age stuff. Um, you know, uh, growing up, the books that were about witchcraft were right next to the books about new age, right next to the books mm-hmm. about Ascension, right next to the books about Sylvia Brown, the psychic. I mean, they were all, you know what I'm talking about. No, all, and literally, I think yes. it happens to a lot mm-hmm. of us. Yes. Yeah. It happened and, to me and Rye for yeah. sure. It's very easy to synonymize these things. And so... Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, that that movement into it also got very, very deep into spiritual bypassing, very, very deep into right. toxic positivity. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. deeply struggled and I started deeply, very much believing that everything that went wrong in my life was my fault. And I, I, I vibrated in that way that brought that and attracted it to my life. I even remember going to um, a couple really... And I even went to like a, a different channeling seminars. I went to an Abraham Hicks seminar. I went to a Theo seminar in LA for like a weekend, like multi-thousand dollar trip. I was like, I've been listening to this person on audiobooks. I've been listening to them on their, their channel. I got to go see them. And I saw her and I was not getting in person what I thought I was getting in these, you know, mass produced, uh, uh, audiobooks and and experiences and it was one of those things that I kind of took a step back and I was like am I holding on to this because I've been doing it for long enough that I feel like I don't know what life would be like without it or am I doing it because it's true real and work I, I I couldn't tell the difference anymore and eventually got to the point that I was like this is not healthy I think for me anymore this isn't um this isn't what I think I thought it was getting into when I got started uh I saw possibilities and opportunities and spiritual growth when I got started. I just saw doors slamming in my face by the time I started to leave. And it was, it was a healthy decision to move away from that mindset. And, but the thing is, is I'm lucky enough to know that I've gone through this journey. I was open spirituality spiritually. And I kind of was like, I want to get back into the thing that made me happy. I thrived with witchcraft. I thrived with it and I wanted to get back into it. So um, I started, you know, just kind of getting back into some, I pre-purchased eBooks of the same thing that I used to purchase when I was younger to kind of re-familiarize myself. I got in some, a couple of online communities, Facebook, oh God, the Facebook groups, man. Um, that was my first exposure to on- Facebook groups was my first exposure to online witch stuff. It was very fascinating. And, and I was thrown back in after a whole decade of not being part of what never had been an online community for me in the first place into one. Uh, I was immediately exposed to some really big names that I didn't even know were big yet. I learned very, very quickly how witchcraft and Wicca had, had 
made itself publicly separate and and how different things were being embraced. I learned about the history of Jill Gardner. I learned about the history of the Law of Three and its in its actuality, how it came to be. I learned a lot more about you know, the great lie of the Western witch cult of Europe. I mean, I learned a lot of these things that I'm so, so, so grateful. I probably didn't need to know when I was a teenager because I feel like it would have uh, <laughs> been the ice water on my my nice warm meal that I was deliciously enjoying. <laughs> <laughs> but but now I'm an adult. I can make I can make smart decisions. I can think rationally. I can do my own research. When I was younger, a lot of the books that I had to order, I had to order from the back of the book I already had. Like Llewellyn had three or four different pages in black and white of the covers of the books they had because you may not be able to find them in your local bookstore. So um, I was lucky enough to find some of the ones that I did. And now the whole world has seemed to open up to me. Like online communities, all of these different things for free on websites, uh, um, on TikTok, on Twitter, uh, uh, groups, podcasts. I hadn't even gotten into podcasts at that point in time. I was still listening to true crime podcasts. Uh, (laughs) The idea of myself even making a podcast was so far out there. I didn't even think that I'd be able to do something like that. And slowly, I, I... really, really, not even solely, horribly quickly, I deep dive back in. I like, I didn't drown in it because I just drunk it all in. Like that sea of information just became the big pregnant witchcraft belly of water in my stomach. Mm -hmm. Like I just was taking it all in as much as I could. I was fascinated. People were sharing their books of shadows online. That was still unheard of when i was younger like mm-hmm. you don't talk about that that is mm-hmm. not for other ears especially eyes mm-hmm. um i don't feel that way anymore obviously but mm-hmm. it was just one of those things that i just felt this sense of freedom about it i was very excited and and i slowly slowly started building things like you know little demonstrations on witch talk uh, uh i didn't have twitter for like the first two years almost uh i started making um uh, an Instagram with just like moving some of those videos over. Cause that was back when Trump was president and they were threatening to take TikTok away from us. So I had to have oh, something yeah. else, you know, I totally forgot about that. I, I, this is the second time around. Yeah. So, right. So I wanted to make sure I had something to continue. And once I moved things over, I was like, Ooh, I can write longer captions here. Yeah. <laughs> I got so excited because it was the opportunity to use my words. And that was a time when I still wasn't using my face in any of my videos. So it was important to me that the work be the subject, not me. And, 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 you know, that, that kind of came to a nice married married section eventually where I started putting myself in my videos and, and, and I felt more comfortable with my face being out there. Cause I just didn't feel that way back then. Um, I'm very, 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 very grateful for how quickly, and, and I will say this first off, I never, ever, ever started making content to become an influencer. It feels really, really weird. It'd be stupid to say I'm not. I know I am now. But it feels really weird to say that because I'm still one of those people that makes fun of influencers. Yeah, <laughs> like, same. We, we can do that. We can yeah, do we that. can do that because we are one. That's right. That's right. It's self-deprecation. What's better than that? <laughs> the best. It's, it's the best. So I never sought out to it, but I was so, so grateful for the amount of people that felt like my words resonated with them. They felt mm-hmm. like, oh, I've never we are all content creators in the witch, witchy sphere online, right? We have seen disinformation. We've seen misinformation. We've seen good information, but told from an extremely militant standpoint mm. that leaves no nuance, no discussion. 
I want that discussion. I want to see more people realize that people are arguing over a very gray issue with very black and white stances and Mm -hmm. no room for anything in between. And I think that that doesn't really exist in the majority of things. There are some, don't get me wrong, but I wanted to create a space where that nuance was um, discussed. It's important. There's a gray area. And I have been wrong on many things. I've admitted that I've deleted old stuff that I no longer jive with, or I've edited it to say I no longer have these views because um, I do think it's really, really wonderful that people not only get to grow themselves, but they get to see the people they follow who may have been um, instrumental or, or inspiring to them to see them grow too. Gosh, you've brought up so many topics and points, Marshall, that I want to respond to that would make this episode hours long. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I should have given more breaks. No, no, not at all. No, 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 but that just means that just means that Marshall has to come yeah, back. Exactly. For a part <laughs> yes, two. I'll be happy to no, you that. just shared so much that that all resonated. The that that I think the the thing that's most salient and sticking out for me from what you shared is that feeling of that full circle of coming back to what just feels right to you and that sense of coming home yep. and how it just yeah, just that sense of like that that kind of um gosh, I was reading in a book somewhere about how exile actually is an initiatory experience that actually brings you back to where you're supposed to be or where you're supposed to be going. And so when you're sharing your experience of leaving Wicca and going through that new age exile to then come back home to that to that Wiccan mm-hmm. or or witchcraft experience that just felt like as you described it, that hot meal, which I I love that metaphor. Um yeah, it just it just resonates so much for me, and I know probably Voga too because we've shared our experiences of how we left our upbringing of religion to to then to go into new age to then find witchcraft and folk magic and how that just felt like our coming home experiences. So I just I resonate so deeply with what you're sharing and and God, you brought up so much like like the the necess- the necessity of of nuance in and dialogues that are needed and and the issues that arise with with online witchcraft communities and just all of that. I just, just snaps for all of it. So, so thank you for, for everything that you just shared. Cause it just, I'm just like, yes, I'm here for all of it. Yeah, no, 100%. It, it, it to sound just, just to sound like one of those girls, it really resonated with me. Um, because <laughs> I mean, just, just echoing what, just echoing what Rye said in regards to exile being a form of initiation. Mm-hmm. This is something that I've talked about before because there, you know, an actual formal initiation exists and they're, they are important. Okay. Especially when you're going into some sort of spiritual practice, um, they are important. Uh, I'm not saying that they aren't, but there are people who found their way into this craft or into this path because their life was an initiation there. The, the way that things have happened or the way the things that have been given to them because life is just life is an initiation within itself. There are folks who found witchcraft after becoming homeless. There are people who found witchcraft because they, um, because of a very toxic and abusive relationship. There, I mean, the spectrum is is so is so broad as to how people find this practice and how they how they customize their practice for themselves. And most of it was because, I mean, when you talk about an initiation something that initiates that practice is it could be anything it could be anything that that could um that could push you in that direction you know there's a lot of people who their initiation into witchcraft was leaving the church mm-hmm. you know that's 
that's you know, that's that's something that a lot of people would would probably um, relate with. Um, my initiation was a little bit kind of topsy turvy, where I I you know had to deal with a lot of family trauma and religious trauma, where it kind of went back and forth, and I had to kind of de- deconstruct my idea of my faith and how my faith and my family weren't the same thing, and I had to kind of disconnect those two things at the same time, you know, so your story of how you came into your practice and um, and also how it's evolved and what you're doing with it, especially with what I talk about and what I advocate very heavily with, especially with the work that I do here in LA, is I cultivate community. That is my biggest, that is the biggest thing that I feel like is so important in my craft and in a lot of crafts uh, and a lot of people's practice is the sense of community where even though you you might practice by yourself, there are people who are practicing side by side with you mm-hmm. and being able to kind of volley off of each other, talk about each other's practices and also diversify the practice and also it also it also reduces the risk of misunderstanding miscommunication and misinformation being able to talk about and thank god for for social media because it made it so much easier for us to connect because if it wasn't for social media i probably wouldn't even know who marshall was you know it this is when <laughs> until the book came out of course um <laughs> You well, know, if it's, for social media, I probably wouldn't be able to self-publish my book. That's tr- that's exactly right, and for it to be so successful, you know, for people to actually have it in their hands, the 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 sense of community and what you did with your practice is really admirable, and it's something that I think Ryan and I, what we wanted to do with our podcast for this little niche group of of magical practitioners is we wanted to give them a voice too you know and that's what you've done with with the community and that's what we continue to do with both of our podcasts is to give people voices and to give people a platform to talk about these things because some people they don't have the freedom they don't have the privilege to talk about them they don't have the privilege to talk about the things that we're talking about today openly um and it, you know, at least we're giving them a place where they can talk back to their phone or talk back to their computer and say, like, yes, that's how I feel. That's this is how, this is the experience that I'm having right now, and I know that someone has experienced it before. And this is how I navigate it so that I can make my life as easy as possible and try to get myself out of it. You know, try to make myself better, make myself just more aware socially. Um, you know, just in general. So. Love that. I love, thank you for sharing that story and being vulnerable with us because I, I love, I, you know, I, I had a base of, you know, how you, how your practice has started because I, you know, I told you I'm an avid listener, listener to to you and Austin. So, um, so thank you for sharing that story. I really, really appreciate it. Um, Happy to. Right. Yeah. Marshall, I want to ask a, do you have a question? I, I do have a question. I I'm really curious where your practice is today. Like what, like, do you have a label for it? Like I know I, I, Correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like you've identified it as traditional witchcraft before, um, and so I'm just curious to to how your your practice and your magic and your craft has evolved from where you were as a Wiccan years back to where it is now and what that practice looks like, as well as how it has influenced your your book. We can go into even more explicit detail in the book later on, but I I definitely know the two intertwine. So I would love to know what your practice is, what it looks like, and how that influenced the creation of of your book. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
So I do. I do identify mostly as a as a traditional witch. It's interesting that word itself seems to evoke a lot of different ideas and different people. And so for listeners, I really want to make it very, very clear. The word traditional witch sometimes comes with capital T and sometimes a lowercase t. And I'm talking about a lowercase t specifically, meaning that I practice a set of traditions within witchcraft, not the tradition, not a initiatory uh, closed tradition like Planet Tubal Cain or, or a couple of these other ones that are that are, are focused very specifically on their own um, uh, uh, closed groups or or titled historical, literally orally passed down traditions. But traditional witchcraft comes from a lot of um, British and European centric uh, ideas around the folkloric devil around the the around uh, uh inspirations from trial transcripts from uh old practices by by cunning folk cunning men and women throughout history um there it's a very very loose amalgamation of traditions that have inspired a lineage or more so inspired a craft so um I do follow this concept of of like a, a folkloric devil and a, a witch queen, if you will. Um, my practice, and I think I've said this before, but maybe some of the listeners haven't heard this uh, on this show because they don't listen to mine and they should, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I have evolved a lot from Wicca, which is a very... It, you know, it was a solitary eclectic Wicca, right? It's very Scott Cunningham. Um, it was it was very based off of what I was reading from these books and then duplicating and replicating in a practice. In my practice now, I find that it is much more inspired and made personal. So in books that you can read about traditional witchcraft, like um, uh, Keldon's Crooked Path or Besomsting and Sword, and, and somewhat you also see it in traditional witchcraft, the book of, of Cornish Ways by Jim McGarry, you do see this idea of a folkloric devil and the witch queen or witch mother that seems to create a type of archetype, if you will, which some people, in my opinion, mistakenly compare a lot to the Lord and Lady from Wicca. But the Lord and Lady from Wicca is 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 really about a representation of a type of fertility cycle and a type of creation pattern, if you will. Um, and that may not be everyone's interpretation of it. That was the one that was presented to, to me through Scott Cunningham and, and through Raymond Buckland's version of Wicca at the time. The way that I see the folkloric devil and the witch queen or witch mother are very, very, very different because I don't see them as this couple whatsoever. I actually see them as a, a, a part of differences in, in perspective and spectrum. So I see the folkloric devil as the physical initiator, the gatekeeper at the crossroads, the being in which I can go out and touch with the grass, touch with the dirt, stand in power at, at an actual crossroads, at a cemetery, at a liminal place. The stones, the water, the elements I work with, those all connect back to the physicality in my craft. I see the witch mother or witch queen as what I cannot see, what I cannot feel, what I cannot sense outside of my own second senses, or I should say sixth sense, whatever you want to call it, you know, my second sight, the witch's purview. Um, <laughs> I see, I see her or them because she is not female. Uh, it's just a easy, very easy human way to kind of Mm -hmm. conceptualize it as the non-physical and and you may have heard the terminology the light between the horns right um you hear that a lot in 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 traditional witchcraft the horns being the folkloric devil and the light being the gnosis that is presented to you through this this figure 
I see her as the gnosis. I see her as the light, the weaver of reality, uh, 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 the maker of star. I mean, like it's, I could go on and, and wax poetically about her forever. Like I, I have done this in the past with like, she's the weaver of threads. She's the creator of fate. She is the flame of the stars that shine light upon us. It's the things you can't touch. She's the spark of magic. And I see this as, as, a collection of physical and non-physical and everything that lies in between. Um, and sometimes I have in the past kind of talked about the, the idea how it is somewhat modeled off of alchemy with the divine masculine, divine feminine, divine androgyne. But I feel like that's a whole nother model that comes down to alchemical equations, which can be helpful, but also can be a hindrance in certain practices and ideas about gender. Uh, so I try to actually kind of remove that from it. That's, it's not important. These aren't human beings we're dealing with. We're dealing with ideas. We're dealing with concepts. We're dealing with, with spirits. Um, I don't call them deities. I don't call them gods or goddesses. I think those names can be used, but I see them as uh, uh, figures and spirits that I am venerating, that I am honoring, that I'm working with on a contractual level. Um, I did do a, a, a spirit... I did a, a type of call to the man in black that then several weeks up was followed by a, a personal dedication and initiation in the woods, of course, at midnight into the full moon, obviously. And <laughs> it was it was really one of those moments that um, I went out there, I did this, th this I won't want to get into too much of the details, but I did this thing. I felt very much empowered. I felt very much uh, close to that spirit of liminality. And, and I've been very, very grateful to experience the type of spirit interaction since. Um, you asked what my uh, uh, practice looks like. That's a, a big part of it. Um, I'm also an animist, so I see spirit in absolutely everything. When I'm working with herbs in my craft, I'm not working with rosemary and and uh, and thyme and, and parsley and sage. Here I am. Uh, going to the Scarborough Fair. And like, I'm not, I'm not working with these things like their recipe going into some cookies or a pot of soup. They are spirits that I am working with. Um, I wrote an article about that recently on, on the Southern Light Diaries on Pathias Pagan. A lot of times people look at, at, at spells like recipes. I look at them like spiritual contracts. The incense that I'm lighting is an offering to these spirits to work with me. These spirits within these herbs or these stones or this water or this earth, it, you know, I'm, I'm honoring it. I'm giving giving it a, a, an offering of sometimes maybe something from me, maybe a bit of myself, maybe it's just some scent, like, a, like I said, from incense, um, maybe a chant, a prayer. I am giving it attention. So the spirit feels what I want, becomes one with my desire, and then goes out and enacts it in reality. I'm not just baking a cake. And I think that's a really big difference between the way that I saw it when I was younger versus how I see my practice now. I don't feel alone when I'm working at my altar or my workspace. I am obviously, in my opinion, obviously, surrounded by my spirit court when I call them in. Um, and that's what I do. I usually call in these spirits. I have a very specific method of going about and maybe casting a spell or doing a working or communicating in a specific way. Uh, and then I will send them back out to this sounds awful, but to do my bidding. And, and, and that's kind of the way it, it works. It's a contractual agreement. I have a once a month offering that I specifically make that I have promised to continue making. 
And I know that they, and then I make a regular smaller offering on a regular basis, usually every day. Sometimes and since sometimes it's just a prayer that I wrote myself as a dedication. And it keeps me connected with these spirits. Um, I think that's, I think that's about it. It keeps me connected. It allows for me to have this ongoing relationship just to make sure that it's not always a tit for tat. I don't like the idea of it always being a tit for tat. I am always giving veneration. I'm doing this daily thing. And in return, when I ask for something, my spirits are more than happy to help me achieve it. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. I mean, the, the whole tit for tat thing I think is unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't really, you can't really expect, first of all, I think that there is a big aspect of what is warranted and what is not that we sometimes forget mm-hmm. um because at the same time it's like we are so heavily conditioned in this time and space um especially here in the united states where we believe that we're entitled to whatever we ask for uh, regardless of whether we uh, whether we do the work or not right mm-hmm. we just feel like we're entitled because we're human beings and we think that we're entitled to everything either land or spaces or people or you know whatever we're entitled to it all right um spirits don't work like that spirits mm-hmm. get to choose what is warranted and what is not um no this is not you are not entitled to this so i will not give it to you um thank you for the work that you've done let's revisit this and at another time where i feel like maybe at maybe that time i'm going to feel like you're you you deserve what you're asking for or maybe it's warranted or maybe it's just not the time um it's just bad timing on your part because mm-hmm. at most of the time they just know better um but at the same time, I, I, I appreciate the, the whole aspect of how heavily influenced your practice is when it comes to spiritual work. That is something that I always try to advocate when it comes to practicing your craft um, um, effectively. The efficacy of your craft is how well you cultivate relationships with your spiritual court, whatever oh, yeah. that spiritual court is. Um, and they get to dictate what that looks like what they like and what they don't is up to them you know you can't just like just give them whatever they want and expect things to happen right you have to it's a trial and error kind of a thing and you have to work constantly at doing that um especially with the the work that we do and the work that we talk about here on the podcast like we have a cornucopia of spirits to work with that aren't even earth-based they're they're all just heavenly based right they're just Mm -hmm. like they're all like in the sky um but you know even working with saints who are now heavenly heavenly spirits um we're earthly we're earthly spirits they knew they knew what it felt like to be human they they relate to us on that human level and that's kind of where my practice bleeds into more of the witchcraft aspect of my practice i know i've 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 um i've uh, in some cases had to not really defend my practice in regards to what it means to be a witch um but kind of just say what i have to say and what my what my um what my praxis or what my belief system is or what my um uh i'm trying to find the word cosmology how it how it kind of um how it kind of blends together because like when i work with saints and then when i work with local land spirits when i when i do those things like go out to the woods and talk to the spirits of the of the land that's where it bleeds into each other right because i mm-hmm. do both and i i've spoke about this before where my practice my witchcraft and my and my devotional work they're sometimes the same and sometimes they're separate and i have to decide i i have to i have to discern 
what is appropriate and what isn't um, based on what I know about my spirits. And the only reason why I know what I know, what my spirits want is because I communicate very effectively with them. I can't bring some saints into the woods to talk to the devil. It's just, it doesn't work. They're not interested. They're not (laughs) interested. Also though, it's not even just like, they're going to like, they're not going to smite you, but they'll ignore you. Like, what are you doing? Like, if you want me to, if you, if you want to talk to me, talk to me at your altar. All you need to do is pray to me. Right. Mm-hmm. As opposed to like going out into the woods, it's like, I need you to walk three times clockwise around a cauldron, around a fire, you know, butt ass naked on a full moon. You know what I mean? So well, it'd it, be like calling your hairstylist. Cause you have a plumbing issue. No. <laughs> I don't, I don't, what am I going to do? It's a perfect analogy. <laughs> what it's am I going to do? <laughs> That's the perfect analogy because it's right. It's like you have to, just because you see it in a book, just because you see it in like, you just because there are parallels, because there are things that you see that look the same doesn't necessarily mean they are the same. Mm -hmm. You have to sit with these spirits. This is actual spiritual communication. This is actual, like sitting down and talking to your spirits is so important and like what you said, like the rosemary that you have in your hand is the vessel to the spirit. Mm-hmm. It is what is carrying that spirit. It's not the spirit itself. You have to commune with the the spirit of rosemary to see what rosemary wants to do for you. you well, know, I mean, to... like in all of our oils, all of our lotions, all of our 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 potions and and incenses. When we are burning, when we're cooking, when we're extracting. We're extracting the spirit from the plant. We're extracting the spirit from that material plant directly into the water, directly into the oil, directly into, into ash that we're burning to release into the world. Like it's a spirit. And I remember someone said this once and they were like, uh, uh, essential oils are the extracted spirit from the plant that you want to work with. And I was just like the extracted spirit. (laughs) Oh, I was just, I was so moved by the language and verbiage. And I just love that because that's true. When you make a potion, when you boil your tea, what you are extracting the essence of of what that plant material is, that's part of witchcraft. There's this, um, this is going to be really funny um, story that kind of goes into what you're talking about. Um, I don't know if y'all remember Rachel Ray and how she used to have this TV show Mm -hmm. on Food Network called 30 Minute Meals, where she would have a a 30 minute block where she would make an entire meal. And I used to watch it religiously. I loved Rachel. First of all, I loved the Food Network. I loved Rachel Ray. Yeah, Rachel Ray was one of one of the girls. I, I loved her so much. And there's this thing that she would do sometimes with dried herbs where she would put it in the palm of her hand. And one of her little tips to get more flavor out of the herbs is to rub it in your palm. And she said, I remember this in my head, um, um, especially going into like this practice where it, it really resonates with me now, where she said, like, you gotta, you gotta rub it. You gotta, you gotta rub these dry herbs. Okay. You gotta wake them up. You gotta, you gotta wake up the spirit. Right. And I was like, that's exactly what, mm-hmm. what, um, what it means to work with the herb, not just use the herb, but actually work with the spirit of the herb is when you're, when you're actively working with them, when you're waking it up when you're making, you're making spirit work tactile. That is what witchcraft is. You're mm. taking the spirits and bringing them into this tactile physical world and working with them 
to work together, you know? And I know there's like, you know, there's, there's conversations about like working with spirits and working, you know, blah, 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 whatever. Listen, you're working with spirits. They're working with you, whatever. I, I, I don't want to go into semantics as to class classism and whatever. Listen, you're working with them. They're working with you. And when you do the work, that is what witchcraft is. You are actively communicating with spirits. You're communing with them. You are, you are, um, you, you know, you are blurring the line between physical and spiritual. And that's the, the liminality that you work with. That's the, that's the space that you create for yourself. I did this thing a while ago when I first really started diving deeper and deeper into animism and started applying this concept of spirit within everything to, to my apothecary. And I would, when I work with an herb before, instead of just dumping things into a bowl and doing what I want to do with them, I would put them in my hand first. And I would do that. I would kind of rub them around. I would release the aromatics. I would bring them up to my nose. I would take a huge, I would take a really deep whiff without trying to, you know, snort it. And, and I would really kind of take it into my senses. What does it smell like? What, mm -hmm. does, it, what does it feel like in my hands? What mm -hmm. color does it make when I, when I swirl it and it breaks apart? what do I see in my mind's eye when I'm taking the scent of this into, I will I literally close my eyes. And there are many times, I know this is very much things that we do as people, as, as human beings. And I remember like seeing them as, as different. I think of them as like Calcifer from uh, Howl's Moving Castle, <laughs> like fire demon. And I would, so like, you know, you're working with a, a green plant. It has intense aromatics. And I would see that as this little green flaming spirit in my mind's eye, and I could see its face and I could, I could give it a sense of profile in, in my, my perspective, in my, in my mind. And it would be different for every single herb that I would work with. That profile would change, and it was clear to me because I was taking it in. And sometimes, if it, you know, it's safe to even taste it to to really get all of your senses involved in in mm -hmm. the spirit of the plant you're working with. And I think that made it much easier for me to start really breaking down how I perceive these spirits, how I perceive these plants as telling me what it is. Is it spicy? Is it is it soothing? Is it cooling? Is does it burn? Is it is it is it like too hot on my tongue? It, yeah, I because really that got, goes into what they're able to do for you. Absolutely, the plant yeah. will tell me whether I'm smelling it, tasting it, seeing how it grows, watching the way in which it only blooms at night or only blooms during the day, or or vines that will take over an entire yard and kill everything else in it, or ones that will shrink back if anything else get too close. Your plants will tell you how to work with them. You just have to pay attention. You have to put in the work. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that, Marshall. And so the second half of that question, I, I'm really curious as to how your practice has influenced <sighs> the creation of, of the book that you've you've now released. You, you've explained the background of your practice and kind of where it's at now, but how has that affected what it is that you've now created and put out into the world through through your book? Well, you know, you, you asked me before about how I identify as a, as a traditional witch or what exactly what it is. The only other one that I sometimes flounder with, and I, I use flounder lightly, um, also is folkloric because I'm very, very inspired by folklore. Um, that is a, a word that I think uh, Aaron Oberon introduced to me, the author of, of Southern Cunning. And 
the idea. An incredible practitioner, by the way. Go pick up that book. It's an incredible book. Seriously, uh, if you don't follow Aaron Oberon, you absolutely should. They have amazing work out there. It's a uh, they're a wonderful writer. I, I'm I'm so so grateful to call them my friend, and they really introduced me to the idea of folklore being much more integrated into witchcraft than I think I had been introduced before. And after that, you know, I think I literally found uh, 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 Corey Tyler, Corey Thomas Hutchinson at the same time while listening to an interview on new world witchery. That's, that's Corey's podcast uh, for, for listeners listening to an interview with Aaron Oberon. So it was this really kismity sort of thing where I was like, Oh my God, I found some people. I found some of my people. And it was so inspiring to hear how, stories inspired their craft and you know as i started to expand a lot of of my knowledge where i was pulling from i really really graduated hardcore from some of the things that i was i was getting my resources from when i was younger like the you know cunningham uh uh uh, raven wolf and, and buckland and started to grasp out a little bit more i got into uh more like i said more traditional craft more uh, historical craft, getting into um, uh, witch trials, uh, historical witch sabbaths, the trial records around witch sabbaths, and even more so, I really, really enjoyed looking at a lot of grimoires and and work that has been replicated from a lot of cunning folk over in England and Europe, and and I know one of the books that several of the books that really stood out to me were some of these grimoires that really, really made me just like, this is a, can we swear on here? I can't remember. Are we explicit or no? Yes. Okay, good. This is a fucking Say all the fucking words. Say all the fucking words. This is a fucking book of magic and I loved it. But many of them did not fit my cosmology. So like, I'm a huge fan of symbols, sigils, working with seals. And and I mean, these, these are literally names of spirits that you're working with, right? So I'm a huge fan of like the Keys of Solomon, uh, the Black Pullet, uh, some of these other ones. I, I, I really like the grimoire, the long lost friend, which doesn't have much symbols, but it, it goes to what I'm talking about here. The problem with much of it, though, was that, it, like I said, it didn't fit my. The long lost friend is the is that the powwow? That's powwow, yes. right? Yes, yes, it's, I. I always forget how to say it. Brokai. It's it's, it's yeah. uh, Dutch Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. I've been trying. I've been trying to get my hands on that book because I really want to try. Anyways, there's a really really cute one by Troy Books. It's like pocket size. It's super cute. It's like oh, I'm gonna pick dream. that up. Yeah, <laughs> Thank you. Um. Wish I could go on a tangent on that one because I did learn recently that even that book itself was written by a non-practitioner who collected examples of things that he was interviewing from uh, uh, different healers and practitioners in Dutch Pennsylvania. So even that book isn't written by and produced by a practitioner. It's yeah, from the outside yeah. perspective. So something to know before, before diving into that one. But these old grimoires, they, they were very, very much under the Christian perspective. No offense. Yeah. But it's just, it's, <laughs> no, no offense. It's not, it's not mine. And mm-hmm. I loved them. I loved them, but many of them involved deep devotion to God and to Jesus and invocations to a lot of biblical ideas. And while that might be wonderful for many practitioners, for me personally um it wasn't my cup of tea so i have you ever read the black pullet by chance i have not it's this it's this really fascinating little story and that's what it is it is a story about a man who finds himself being uh, uh traveling and and 
it's been a long time since I read it, so the beginning is a little fuzzy, but basically he gets helped after an accident by a magician who secrets him away inside a mountain where he lives the life of a sorcerer. And he has no children and decides while he's recuperating, he has no apprentice, no child, no one to pass down this information and decides to teach him while he's recuperating. In the process, this book delivers a bunch of seals, rings to wear, and words to say while while working with these seals to achieve your ends. So it's literally a book of talismans. And I love that it was telling a story to get to the point about what it was teaching. And that was my first exposure to to understanding the the art of telling a story to teach a magical practice. And I loved this concept. But a lot of the things that were in there were really, I mean, this is one of those Bibliothèque Blue French uh, grimoires that came out around, I want to say the 1700s. Uh, maybe late early 1800s. I can't remember to be sure, so don't quote me on that. But a lot of the things in which they were were saying, like, do this seal, wear this ring, say these words, and three servants will pop up out of the air and they will bring you grapes, wine, and bread and cheese. And I was like, that's cool. They're not showing up. I know that. Like, <laughs> I, I know this. Um, so I wanted to create, yeah, we, we know this uh, as much as I would like that. Um, I wanted to build upon this concept and and because I was so inspired by folklore, teaching stories and tales, teaching magical acts or inspiring them, um, I wanted to kind of build on something of that. And uh, uh, and there's been multiple other books since then where like the first half is teaching you and the last half is rights. So I wanted to kind of put this whole collection this compendium together of of stories and narratives and tales or just parables because some of them really have no point except for the act of teaching you something Mm -hmm. some of them have entire stories and cosmologies built it within Mm -hmm. and and i wanted to create something that pulled in the reader and put them in the viewpoint of either the actual witch practitioner or the person receiving the help from the practitioner. And I wanted the reader to feel like they were sucked into these stories and, and immersed into these, these, these characters. Cause many of them are things that I have maybe experienced myself. Some of them are uh, reminiscent about things that are happening right now. There's a story um, uh, called witch bottles and it goes into a, I don't want to give too much away about that one specifically, but there is a moment where the town kind of turn on a couple because they are in a, a non-conforming relationship. And one of the things they say is we have to protect the children. And we are going through a very visceral, very real, like, like I'm not just making up cliches. This is happening now. Mm-hmm. And I wanted a lot of the things that we as queer people are experiencing to be something that was in our actual material because many of the types of old fairy tales and stories are things that have, I don't want to say all of them are outdated because a lot of these themes can be timeless, right? But some of them feel so far removed, like princesses and princes and, 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 uh, uh, different types of adventures that they're not things that are happening right now. I wanted to take these stories and deliver them in a way that felt so applicable to the way in which many of us are feeling oppressed, feeling taken advantage of, feeling marginalized, feeling disempowered and find that place of power. And I really, really loved that no matter how it came, because it didn't always come in the way in which one might think, we these characters were empowered again. 
they found their sense of power and and you got to be a part of that story with them and then take it into your own practice so um that was why i ended up writing the book the way the way i did it was it was important to me to make sure there are hundreds, if not thousands, of 101 witchcraft books out there that will regurgitate the same information over and over and over again. And everyone needs a good baseline. Yep. But I wanted something that made people feel, I feel seen in this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's just, I'm going to put a little bit of a Christian context into this because this is what we do here. Um Y'all, let me tell you something. Once I'm not going to give too much away, and this is not hyperbole. This is an extraordinary book. And the reason why I'm saying this is because when you look at grimoires and you look at, there, there are grimoires that are grimoires and there are grimoires that are cookbooks. And there's nothing wrong with a cookbook. There's nothing, it, it teaches you how to do something and you get something out of it, right? But there are there there is something about this book that really hits close to home. And the reason why I'm saying that is because one, it feels like someone is telling me a story. It doesn't feel like someone is trying to explain a story to me or explain why something is happening to me. Someone is telling me a story and it's up to me to figure out why they're telling me the story. Reading this book, when y'all actually get to pick up this book and read it, it feels like someone is telling you a story. And when we compare something like this, something that's full of tales and stories, and you compare it to something like the Bible, hmm. that is also a book of tales and stories. And what are those tales and stories trying to teach you? They're trying to teach you lessons. And when people write these things down, when people write their accounts down, um, especially back then, it is a way to explain how the world works, right? It, it's a way to explain how things how things in our world works in our favor and not in our favor and also how to navigate those things, right? There's always a lesson to be learned in stories that are being told. Um, And that's what the Bible does for some people. That's what grimoires do for other people. And also um, there's, there's a certain, um, I'm just going to, this is, I think it's a really good uh, time for us to actually mention it. You wrote a book once and I, I did. <laughs> and the book is called um, <laughs> Cunning Words, A Grimoire of Tales and Magic. Um, and it's absolutely beautiful. The The simplicity of the actual, the, the, the cover itself. I have the, the hardcover, the hardcover version of it. It is absolutely stunning. Um, and it is also filled with um, Marshall's own artwork i understand right Mm -hmm. yes um it is absolutely beautiful i don't want to give off way too it's already been victimized to my annotations victim away that's yours (laughs) make it yours yes um but yes it is it is a beautiful book and it is absolutely uh the 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 artwork in it is stunning the the writing is stunning and like i said you you mentioned at the beginning of this episode that you were worried about people feeling like this is amateurish Mm -hmm. This is not something, this is not a scholarly work. This is someone who's telling you stories and that's why it feels like that. Someone who literally is, it is structured like someone is telling you a story. This feels like Tales of the Beetle, Beetle and the Bard, like from Harry Potter. Like it's a, it's a story, it's like, it feels like a storybook where someone, I would take this book and read this at bedtime to like a child. <laughs> I mean, to my child, I would, if I had one, like I would read, this, this is a chapter three. 
yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, and that's the reason why witches can fly, you know, and that's, that's what I'm, that, that it, it feels so personal and it feels so folky, you know, it feels so like the stories that were told around a campfire to teach, to teach, you know, kids about the boogeyman or to teach kids about, um, you know, um, anything about righteousness or about, and that's how the stories in the Bible were started. Like it was all word of mouth. It was through sermons and teachings and people listening to the stories of, 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 of man. It, and it's, it's a way of explaining how the world works. This is just another way to, of explaining how the world works. And it is a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, and Thank I think you. that's a really good way of segueing into the book itself. So maybe it's time for us to talk about the book. Let's um, do it. There have I, I read this book. I'm I'm already I'm almost going to be on my second reading of this book. Um, it is structured in three parts. I understand, mm-hmm. um, and the 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 uh, the first part of this book are the the actual tales, the the actual the stories that go into it, and they they all have this. They have this interesting. Um, I don't know if y'all know what I'm talking about when I say this, but they have like this interesting like Valentine's Day or like love actually feel to it, where like characters kind of peek into each story you know yeah. like you have like archetypes that are kind of related to each other in each story where you see different characters from other stories kind of peek into it so i really appreciated that because like you, you like everything like you know a, a character from a different story isn't like a central part of that story but there are there you know they're involved in that story in some way like they they're you know it just kind of comes together in some way and I understand that um, I, I listened to your most recent episode of, of um, Southern Ramble and you encourage people to read this in order yes. to read it from cover to cover. Um, so, and I understand why, because I, that's exactly how I did it. And it makes a lot of sense, even though it has like this, like into the woods kind of a thing where there's all these characters at the same time, kind of intermingling in some way and yeah. the story comes together because of it. So it's a, it's a really well, I love the structure that you went into um, writing this book. Um, Some of the stories that really stood out to me, um, just to let you know, Our Mother in Red brought me to tears. Um, I was very emotional (laughs) when I read that story. (laughs) It brought me to tears writing it. Like the fact that I know people are are reading it and feeling seen, um, I get really emotional talking about it. So if I get misty, you'll have to forgive me. It, It was one of those stories that I just felt I struggled a lot growing up with my own sense of identity, my own gender, my own understanding about what my queerness meant. Before I'd even understood it, I remember looking at videos that my mom took to tech taking me in the summer to my whole family used to do this like blackberry picking thing. And I remember they took a video of me with a towel on my head and walking like really swishy. And I remember watching that video while remembering what was in my mind while it was being taken, which I didn't know was being taken. And I used to do this thing where I would walk, I would go out in the wilderness when I thought I was alone and I would pretend to be a pretty girl and that all the flowers were talking about how pretty I was. And it was, I know that some seems so silly, but that was my childish mind really finding a very, very private place to, um, to be playful about things that scared me, scared the shit out of me before I even understood why I was scared. And I never got the opportunity to read a story that gave respect and and love and celebration of, of having those feelings. 
And I wanted to write something that not only celebrated that, but also gave the freedom to go through it without the hardships that I know so many people who are trans, non-binary, and struggling to figure out their identity. Um, I know there are a lot of questioning people out there who don't even know what they're questioning at different ages. And I Mm -hmm. wanted to have a story that didn't dive too, too deep into the pain of that, but more into the the acceptance and the respect and the joy of it. Um, I've never read a story like that before, and I wanted to put it out there. That story was so impactful because it felt like I was watch I was reading a story about myself. Um, it felt, and without giving out too like I don't want to spoil too much because I want folks to go and read that the read the, read the book, but also particularly pay attention specifically to that story because um, that story does have a very very um, uh, important important conversation that we talk about all the time here. We talk about or just not here, but like just on the online space all the time in regards to coming coming to terms with who you truly are and presenting yourself in the most authentic way. Um, this just puts a magical spin on it. It, it, it puts it, it puts a, a mystical spin on it, which I, you know, it's always very, very um, enlightening. And that's obvi- also really entertaining because the way I saw it in my head was, it, it, I saw it in my head as an anime for some reason. Like it, 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 I really <laughs> saw it as like, um, like a spirited away. That. Like I love spirit, that. Yeah, like Spirited Away was popping into my head um, when I was reading that story. Like, that's how I saw it in my head. And it was, oh, it was absolutely beautiful. That's such a compliment. Uh, <laughs> it's, 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 it, it really is. It, the way that you described it, the, 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 the imagery that you described in that particular story, in all of your stories, really, but that particular story really just really brought me. Like, the part where, with, like I said, without putting too much, um, giving out too much, the, the whole thing where... Um, there was nothing but a meadow, but like red, like red plume of smoke, like that. Really, I was like, "Oh, this feels like a movie. It really feels like a like a like a magical movie that I'm that I'm watching. It's 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 a stunning, stunning book. Um, there is there story. is one thing I do want to point out about that that you just said that, and this won't give anything away because it's right in the beginning, the very very beginning, and people miss people will miss it if you're not looking closely. So. You'll notice I have a map in the very beginning of the Mm -hmm. book that helps the readers kind Mm. of lay out a landscape about where everything is taking place. And one thing that you may notice if you look closely is there is no house for our mother in red. There is no place. (gasps) Oh my God, you are, you sneaky, sneaky slut. (laughs) Sneaky snake. Yes, she, (laughs) she, she she's meant to pop up when she's needed and there is no specific place because she's needed in a lot of places. Um, I think I said this in my, in the episode in our podcast, I I likened her to the fairy godmother. I, I wish I had 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 the opportunity to have. Um, And she does that in multiple stories. She kind of just pops up in places Mm -hmm. when it's, when, when she's needed most. And yes, I think that was, no, I don't think I know because I wrote it. I don't know why I said that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I wrote it in a way that I wanted it to be the visage of the charmer, not, yes, she's a witch, obviously, but not the typical um, dressed in black witch in the woods, but 
but a charmer, someone who might be there to help, someone with a little bit too much knowledge, someone who lives on the fringes, someone who you would only go to when the mundane has failed you. And I wanted that visage to be there. Um, and it's interesting, actually. I think even Austin said something recently about like the, the red path of the witch. And I was just like, that's a really good way to put it, the red path. And um, I, I wanted her to have a most fantastical, well, not, actually, no, some of them have more fantastical stories now that I think about it. But I, I did want her to, to kind of be slightly otherworldly, um, mostly because as an archetype, she is a spirit and mm -hmm. she's a spirit that you can work with within my book. Well, that idea of the spirit, that kind of spirit, it bleeds into a lot of spiritualities. Okay. Because that, the reason why that hits so hard for me is because she reminds me of Mary. Mm, because absolutely. in, in the story, there is a gift that the, our, our mother in red gives to a character mm -hmm. and that gift is bravery. And I talked, I talked about this in our, I think in our Mary, our Marian devotion episode, the revisited one that we recorded um, that's out now um, that that's something that Mary gave me. She, she gave me the, the courage to present the way that I wanted to present. And, you know, um, I know that Rye, has the same kind of um, feelings in regards to Mary's. She shows up when she need, when you need her. Mm -hmm. She shows up. She is that that mother in red where I'm always paying attention to you. Even though I'm not sitting next to you, I am paying attention to you and I will show up when you need me. I'm just waiting for that moment to happen. And that's the reason why she really, really had, she really had me at my, she really grip, grip in my heart when I was, when I was um, reading that story. It's an absolutely stunning story. Well, thank you. Going going more into the to the structure of the book, I know mm -hmm. that it's it's divided into three parts. Um, I know that there's there's a there's more of like a, a section of the book that's more like um, uh, like poetry, right? Yes. Kind of telling stories in the same way. But and, and then also at, uh, towards the end, we have more of like the the more practical stuff, the more um, things that you can do yourself. Like the the um, the uh, I would venture to guess that these are things that are coming straight out of your own book of shadows um is that true is that like the the i know that everything was written by you but um mm -hmm. the the influence that the 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 practical side of the book itself um what influenced that part um yes many of those spells some of those spells were already in my own personal grimoire my own personal book of shadows uh some of them were inspired by writing the stories themselves um, there were multiple times where I would I would try to extract uh, a spell from a story and be like, no, that's wrong. And I, I would I would take that very much as I am being told by the spirits within my story that's not the way it goes, that's not the right way it goes, and I would write it till I got it right. So it felt like I was being told this is the right way to go. Um, many of them are extremely sympathetic. They're based on sympathetic magic. They're based on the concept of. Uh, they're based on the concept that they are a lot of times things you might have seen from these stories or inspired by these stories. So like there's a, you know, I have the three, the three stories, our mother in red, our mother in green, our mother in black. And in the back part of that section, there's a whole chapter called the red book, the green book and the black mm -hmm. book. Mm -hmm. And it's done this way because some of the spells that are in there are rites that you can do are very clearly seen in the stories. And some of them are there because they're the magic that you can expect 
the Red Mother to be doing that would have been in her book. Because a lot of times, and every one of these stories, I think I mentioned at one point, a book of rites, a book of herbal healing, a book of spells, a book of something. And what you're getting in the back is that book that I'm describing. So you get to see all their magic. You get to see all their spells. You get to see all the things our mother in green does to heal with herbs and plants. You get to see all the things that are written down in our mother in black's uh, uh, book of curses you get to see all the things that that belinda gets to to have within her little book so you get a much clearer and more expanded viewpoint of things that you may not have gotten fully within the story that continue on and forward and i did this in a way you know i mentioned earlier about some of those grimoires like the keys of solomon whatnot like Mm -hmm. these these are the Keys of Solomon or the Greater the greater Keys of Solomon, it's a testimony followed mm-hmm. by uh, invocations, followed by seals that you can use with those invocations. Mm-hmm. So you get this sequence of information to teach you how to use the magic that's at the very, very end. And so I wanted the stories and the poems to set you up with an entire court of spirits that any of the reader could could move forward on and then understand how to work with the back the 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 magic in the back so um i i kind of lined it up that way to 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 give you the opportunity to i guess understand where these spells came from because a lot of times spells as sympathetic magic a lot of times if i don't have anything at hand or i need to do something quick i know a lot of my virtues in my head i know the spirits that i can call to work with if i need to with a with a with certain things that i may have on hand many times i will do a bit of sympathetic magic that is unplanned because i know like responds to like microcosm affects macrocosm and a lot of these spells you can see do exactly that and and they even go a little bit deeper into the narrative themselves you can see they pull in the green mother the, the the red mother they pull in these these characters these spirits and they they tell a little story within the rhyme you might be saying they tell a little story within the scroll you might write and put in that amulet or charm bag and i wanted a type of magic that was clear where it was coming from but also felt individual completely new and, and something that wouldn't be in already in almost every single other 101 book of magic this may be presumptuous to say um but i i tend to be very presumptuous um i mean you're you're you've produced a work of uh, a work that has modernized where magic came from so i can say that yeah so this is truly a testament to the um the foundations of witchcraft the foundations of witchcraft is is the people mm-hmm. and what the people said so this the is basically what the people said that's so beautifully put oh thank you <laughs> thank you very much no it's um, simple it's so beautifully put that's exactly what it is yeah and that that is that is this is how i that this is the reason why i'm so elated about this book and the, the reason why like i was excited for the book but when i read the book the book is it it really is it really is a um a true um it is a staple it is a staple it's going to be a staple in my practice it is a staple in storytelling but it also socially 
and, um, you know, magically and, um, historically it is a testament to why we practice witchcraft and the reason why we practice witchcraft is because of the people that we are or, or how we practice witchcraft is from the people that we that we learned it from from the the stories that they told and from the lives that they lived and um you've you've kind of brought it into into today into what it looks like today through your own lens. And um, I hope this implores people to see their practice the same way, to see that their, that their lives isn't just their lives to live, but it is, it is, it is a story to tell. Mm-hmm. So start writing those stories down, start writing those, start telling those stories because those stories will inspire someone else to, 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 um, to do the same. I'm I'm very inspired by art. I'm inspired by things that I see within nature. I remember I but when I was writing this, I remember one of the things was I was inspired I I didn't actually end up writing this one because it was a poem that I kind of stepped away from for a while. Um but like there was one where I was like I want to write a poem about three sisters and the three sisters were going to be personified plants. And then I was going to write around the fact that these three plants can work together or um are separated and how they have specific virtues that can work together but because they were separated and the story brings them back together and it was this this concept of how we can see the spirit within the plants that we're that we're working with and we can turn those into parables and in the process of 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 doing that i started thinking a lot more about parables and you brought up modernizing witchcraft and so one of the parables that i absolutely loved writing was the seven holy siblings yeah that was about to yeah it was a really really cool story to put i mean it's not i wouldn't even call it a story i'd call it a parable because it, it, it personifies the days of the week it allows the practitioner to kind of have a fun way of seeing the days of the week and their planetary correspondences as as priests as lords or ladies or 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 sentinels of their of their temple that you could beseech that you could call upon that you could uh, bring down into a talisman into a, a amulet to carry and 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 the same way you would have in ancient years working with say like Agrippa or working with the Picatrix or working even sometimes with the greater key of Solomon with planetary talismans. I wanted, I did want to modernize that and I wanted to bring it into a place that I think would work for the folk because it does have a very folksy way of, of teaching that. Now I have a question for you and I'm curious, you may have an opinion about it. You may not have it all. What did you think of the preface do you remember very much about it by chance? The preface of, hang on. Uh, are you talking about the, the, the beginning of the book? Yes. The very beginning with, uh, mm. uh, oh my gosh, now I'm, I'm blanking my own book. With absence, existence, physicality, and desire. I, I literally, right, right when you said that, my eyes went to existence split into new forms and desire gave birth to physicality, world spun and danced through the absence singing to life. Is that yes. what you're talking about? Yes, exactly what I'm talking about. I wrote that so, so early on and got to a point. So for, for, for readers, I'm going to deeply suggest you read the preface when you get the book. Mm-hmm. several times because it's one of those things that makes you go at first I'm not sure what I'm reading and then when you when I when I was writing this 
I felt very inspired to create an extremely baseline cosmology that hopefully I believe almost anyone of any belief system or faith could kind of look at. But I really, really wanted to create something that gave the visage to the old ones. I think we see the old ones in a lot of traditional witchcraft a lot. And people wonder like, well, who are the old ones? Where do the old ones come from? What is this concept? And some people will say, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's the witch's devil, or we just use this and say it, or it's the god and the goddess, or it's the witch king and witch queen. I really, really wanted to give a very, very um, artistic and esoteric explanation of who and what the old ones are that Mm -hmm. we're working with when we call the old ones down into our practice. And so I really kind of got to the baseline of what the old ones are. Yes. And the way that you, you actually wrote this preface, everything, desire, physicality, absence, um, they are existence, they are capitalized to suggest that they are personified and they're Mm -hmm. spirits. Um, So it's, I didn't notice that until you mentioned (laughs) that. So thank you very much for bringing that up. I'm going to actually be looking at this. It's really, really interesting to see this because I see it through a different lens now. That's absolutely beautiful. Absence, existence, desire, and physicality saw what they created. And for the first time, intelligent beings saw the old ones. Stunning stunning writing absolutely stunning writing and for a lot of people who have a lot of religious views i wanted them to be able to tap into these stories whatever your religious views are because there are practitioners around the world under lots of different belief systems and i want them to feel like you don't have to leave your deities your gods your goddesses your spirits behind to work with this book but you can possibly involve a new perspective of ones that maybe exist maybe you want to work with maybe you don't and in and to be perfectly honest the preface itself is is slightly removed from the rest of the book except for a couple different places and i wanted that to be on purpose because to be perfectly honest and and if you go back and reread it it's kind of an esoteric rewriting of the big bang I remember reading this study and it was the theory that the Big Bang itself was literally the first black hole that popped open into this universe, bringing forth an expansion that continued on, right? Matter entering Mm -hmm. a pocket of non-existence. So existence came into the absence and from then on, the rest is history. Desire brought forward movements into the stars and the Earth's burnt, you know, uh, uh, matter split up into to mm-hmm. liquid gas and 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 liquid gas and solid. So there we go. Thank you. <laughs> and, and and this is how our universe slowly, yeah. theologically, scientifically came to be. And Absolutely. I wanted to really personify the spirited archetype of these existences. Well, if we go back to the reason why people tell stories, is because telling stories is the way that people. Uh, it helps people explain how the world works. It Absolutely. helps explain nature. Mm-hmm. You know, before science was a science, before science was a thing, we had magic. Magic is the explanation of nature. It is explaining nature in a way that is tangible. And then science happened. And then, you know, really science is just magic with numbers. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's it, that's the reason why we tell these stories is to explain. And that's the reason why spirituality in, in every 
aspect of the word religion or it, it's it's man's way of explain not man's but humankind's way of explaining how the world works how nature works and this is the reason why we tell these stories so you know your big bang your genesis your preface is your genesis it this totally is, is your bible and your preface is your genesis <laughs> it is it, it really is and i really i really I, I that almost didn't make it into the book at all in the first place. I was like, maybe this is too removed. Maybe this is too religious. I don't know. And and the further I got into the book, the more I realized, oh, this has to be part of it. Oh this no, is, it's stunning. This is it. Literally, it was very clear to me. In fact, I almost wanted to call it. Um. I almost wanted to call it like a a a, a the in the beginning. No, I'm just I, I I almost did. I literally it's it almost started with in the beginning. It was like no, that's too cliche. I can't do that. But it was going to be the preface to the preface because I wanted to be very clear that this is this is a a esoteric explanation of how all of time began into this universe. And mm. the stories don't really go that far back in time. So <laughs> you'll notice in a couple different places, there are characters that might say, and you know, they might say like, buy the old ones, dearie, because mm -hmm. it's supposed to be clear that this ideology has slowly been funneled into the people who are the practitioners within the stories. The thing is, is it's just so subtle it's almost like a backdrop, but later on in the grimoire section of the book, it gives you the opportunity to work magic, to work with these figures, work with these spirits and archetypes. So you can have the ability to kind of um, tap into them, if you will. I love it. I love it. First of all, thank you so very, very much. You darling, darling, woman on the go, Marshall, for being with us today. I really, really appreciate it. This really is a full circle moment for, personally for me, thank you so much for being on our platform. I really, really appreciate it. Um, uh, go pick up the book. It is absolutely stunning. It is, like I said, just for the sake of the, of reading just a really well-written um, book of tales and, and, and folklore. It is absolutely beautiful. Um, uh, before we do our plugs and our names and our Instagrams and all that, I just want to go ahead and talk to our patrons really quick. Uh, really, really quick. We have a new patron for our Archangels tier, Miss Mon. Thank you so much for joining the coven. We really appreciate your support. And our top patrons for this episode is going to be Martin VJ of Seraphim, of our Seraphim tier, Kaylee Rains of our Seraphim tier, and Kobe Koff of our Seraphim tier. Thank you so much for your support. We really, really appreciate you. Everything that you're, everything that you're, uh, your support means that we get to publish this, this, um, this podcast, this platform that we have, um, that we love so much dearly and also goes into rise in our lifestyle. The money goes a long way. So thank you so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it. Um, but yeah, if you, um, are listening to this right now, I, I encourage anyone to join the Patreon, um, where we release, um, early access video episodes of our episodes, um, about a week in advance. Um, and you get to see these beautiful faces, everyone pose. There we go. Um, as well as bonus episodes and blog posts that we write periodically um, when we feel inspired. And um, also uh, for the top tier, you receive Rise personal tarot readings as well as artwork that I periodically um, uh, release. 
Um, is I think that's it. So please join the Patreon if you feel inclined to do so and become a member of the coven with that said marshall where can we find you what is all the things where can we get the book all of that stuff okay so first you have to call the court and i'm just kidding Uh, you can find (laughs) (laughs) you can find me on uh i said uh, call not conjure (laughs) i know right uh you can find me on uh instagram and tiktok at witch of southern light you can find me on twitter at marshall wsl if you'd like to buy my book cunning words a grimoire of tales and magic i am self-published on amazon it's direct uh print order so the moment you order it it will be printed and mailed to you hopefully within about two to four days depending on where you are you most likely at this point will not find it in stores or retail just yet because i am self-published and it's published through amazon hopefully soon i will have a copy into stores within the next month or so uh if you'd like to buy my art i do sell my art on all merchandise at my Redbubble shop um i have my own patreon i have my own podcast with austin banex bramble on instagram called uh what is it called I've said cunning and crooked so many times. I have no idea. Yes. A podcast, <laughs> Southern Bramble, a podcast of, podcast crooked, of ways. crooked ways. We're on, we're on season three. It's been three years. Okay. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, Southern Bramble, a podcast of crooked ways. I'm pretty much all streaming platforms. Um, and y- yeah, I think that's it. That's me. Wonderful. And with that said, my name is Voga. I am Voga Illumicente on Instagram. And I'm Rai, a.k.a. The Mestizo Mystic on Instagram, or just at Mestizo Mystic on Twitter. And I'm Marshall, also The Witch of Southern Light on Instagram. (laughs) And we will see you at our next Unholy Communion.